this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from Episode 60, our preview of next month's NASHTAG 2022 conference. In this conversation, NASHTAG co-chair Stephen Harrison preview sessions one through three, while steering committee member Jorn Schottenberg and regular surfers Louise Campbell and me lend our own comments. Pay attention to the various comments about Michael Charlton's always challenging and enlightening year interview speech, a highlight of any NASHTAG conference in any year. NASHTAG is always special, always a place where big conceptual trends begin. 2022 promises to be the most enlightening, most challenging NASHTAG yet. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Stephen Harrison. Sure. So, you know, guys, first of all, NASHTAG, I think we're in the fifth year counting, right? And it is just blown away our, our wildest expectations when Vlad and, and Michael and I sat down and came up with this meeting. And we subsequently brought in Rohit as well. It has become a meeting that people look forward to participating in, look forward to listening to for a lot of different reasons. The fact that it's relatively laid back and people can speak their mind, that it's all focused on NASH with a significant amount of content on drug development and biomarker development. It's steeped in science. It has made this a very good meeting. And this year, I think, is no exception. So the meeting is January 6th to the 8th at the same place we always have it, the Chateau in Deer Valley. We're going to kick it off on Friday morning, January 7th. That's my birthday, so it's, it's always a good day, with Mike Charlton doing his 2021 year in review. And if you've never heard Mike give his opening address, it literally is 30 minutes of buckle your seatbelt and get a perspective on the Nash landscape that I guarantee you, you haven't thought about before. Mike, and I mentioned this in his wedding, he is a deep analytical thinker and he will take something and look at it through the lens that nobody else looks through and come up with some thoughts that are mind boggling, but that are so true and steeped in experience and wisdom. And I think you're in for a treat this year, just to start the meeting off with, with Michael and his year in review. And then we're going to mix it up a little bit. Our first session is is entitled A One-Stop Shop. And the moderators for this are Rohit Lumba and Maru Ranella. I think she's maintaining Ranella as her last name, even though she married Michael Charlton this past weekend. What we're going to do is a little bit different. You know, before what we did was kind of a pro and a con, where we took a presentation from AASLD or Easel on a new drug that was reporting out, and we would speak to it from a pro and con perspective. Now what we're doing is we're going to take this section and break it down into different mechanisms of action for drugs. So the first one is FXR, and I'm I'm going to present that one on a clinical trial summary of the FXR agonists that are out there. And, and as we know, not all FXRs are created equal. It used to be we thought they would be the backbone therapy for NASH. I don't think we think that way any longer, at least I personally don't, but I do think they still have a role to play. And we'll talk about what some of those results have shown and how we can accentuate the positive attributes of FXRs for uh, at the same time mitigating some of the class effects of side effects that we see with LDL and pruritus. And there will
will be a 10 minute open mic discussion, which is another benefit, I think, of the meeting where we're able to really just what I like to say is take the gloves off and just have a raw, real session on the data. And then we'll we'll do the same thing with FGF 19 and Alda Furman. There's been some disparate trial results that have come out from cohort four that was published in gastroenterology and then the Alpine 2-3 data that was presented at AA. And Vincent Wong will go through that and that will be another open mic discussion. And then we'll end this particular session with Rohit Lumba speaking on FGF 21. Cover to cover is the name of that. Cover to cover FGF 21 trials. And this is very apropos because I don't know how many conversations I've gotten into since the Peg Belferman data were presented by Manal and Rohit at AASLD and a concern arising that maybe the FGF 21s are not all that. It's similar to the FXR story in that not all FGF 21s are created equal. Some bind FGF R1C beta clotho, some bind FGF R1, 2, and 3. So you get different amounts of liver fat reduction, potentially different histopathologic impacts, different extrahepatic benefits. So those all are going to be discussed and then an open mic debate to ensue. That's session one. I don't know if we want to pause there and uh, before we get into uh, session two. Maybe I'll just stop there and see if anybody has any thoughts or questions. Jörn Schottenberg. Definitely. That's very exciting. You know, if I have to fly there, I'll just fly there for Michael's review of the year 2021. That's a great opener. And it kind of lays the track for then three mechanisms of action that are very dedicated to liver pathophysiology in this disease. We're not talking the more metabolically orientated PPAR or GLP-1 here, but these are drugs that affect hepatocytes and the stellate cells and the gut liver axis, very much focusing on that interaction, fibrogenesis and and disease drivers. So I'm very excited about this first session. I think you guys couldn't have come up with a greater start to the meeting. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's broad-based, but liver-centric in a way, there are opportunities for some good discussion around where do we see these therapies potentially playing out in clinical practice, at both as monotherapy and as combination therapy. Two of these three mechanisms are injectables right now. So where does that play a role? So I think it opens itself up nicely for discussion. Stephen, I agree. And it was a week or two ago that I, for the first time, heard somebody use the phrase, the FGFs, as if they're all the same. Not just the 21s are all the same, but the FGFs are all the same. I was puzzled by the comment, but I will appreciate seeing these laid out that clearly in this context because obviously there are people who need to be set straight or at least to understand a little more than they do right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, clearly FGF 19 and 21, there's a lot more difference between just two numbers, right? FGF 19 binds beta clotho FGF R1C and 4, whereas none of the FGF 21s bind FGF R4, which is what modulates CYP7A1 inhibition and conversion of cholesterol to bile acids. So they're absolutely completely different. They do all bind FGFR1C, and that is important in modulating free fatty acid flux from sicadipocytes. That, and they're both injectable, so, but but I think that's where the similarities end. Yeah, as I say, I think it'll be helpful for people to see that laid out clearly. And then again, in the same context you're talking about, that not all FGF21s are the same. People need to get all that. Okay, good. Um, Louise, comment, thought? Louise Campbell. I'm just interested in to listen to the data and how we can put that into the real world to support patients, because obviously some of these have different medications that you may need to add in to support side effects. 
aspects. It's more from the practical side that I take from the clinical trials and that aspect and how we implement it in a patient parallel. Well, let me go on and, and talk about session two and three. At least with session two, there's some new differences from prior meetings as well. And part of this is we want to mix it up. We want to keep you guys off guard a little bit and maybe a little bit like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So here we turn back to Vincent Wong and we ask Vincent in session two to go over the latest clinical trial results and specific key Congress presentations. That is going to be a little bit like session one in the past where we bring in different key presentations and we have a pro and con. We're not going to do a pro and con, but we're going to have Vincent give a very unbiased view of what he considers to be the presentations that had the biggest impact from a clinical trial perspective in NASH. And then I'm very excited to say we brought back the oral presentations. We didn't have any oral abstract presentations last year. Everything was poster. We have had the best crop of abstract submissions we've ever had at NASHTAG. Jorn was mentioning he just finished grading the DDW abstracts. I have those in my inbox to do. Jorn always accomplishes tasks much quicker than I do, so I still have that in my do-out box. But I've reviewed abstracts for a long time for all the major congresses. And I can tell you that many of these that were submitted would be taken as orals at AASLD or EASL. And a lot of them are novel. So we have had to scratch and claw this agenda to plug and play quite a few oral presentations. We're going to have one, maybe two of them presented following Vincent Wong's key Congress presentations in session two. And we're going to smatter them throughout the two days of the meeting. We're going to give them five minutes to present in five minutes for Q&A. So that's session two. Jumping straight to session three is our first shot at going back to biological basis of NASH progression. So we're going to dive back into the basic science part. And here we have uh, Brent Tetry, who is well-known in his understanding of the pathophysiology of NASH. He's going to be moderating this with Frank Anania from the FDA, who has also made a career of, of bench research in the field of NASH. And we're going to have four presentations followed by a panel discussion, really kind of cutting edge. So we'll have a discussion on the role of phage therapies in liver disease, then emerging data on lipotoxicity in NASH, and then why is NASH-related HCC potentially resistant to treatment? That's going to be fascinating by uh, an investigator out of Heidelberg in Germany. And then we're going to have a presentation on organoids in NASH therapeutics by Dave Brenner from San Diego. And then we're going to open it up for 20 minutes, and we're going to have a discussion as we go to our lunch break. So that's session two and three. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. Let me turn it over to my colleagues for comment or questions. I was going to say that I'm interested in the why NASH-related HCC is resistant to treatment because it begs that we have to diagnose earlier, we have to start screening earlier, particularly if we have a form of cancer that is really resistant. It really pushes that paradigm further forward for the screening of type 2 diabetes who really suffer from this population. That's a great point, Louise. I mean, the other things that come to my mind, and, and again, I don't know what is all going to be presented here, but I think we diagnose rather late in the disease course. It tends to be more multifocal than ice than uh, solitary, and there may be 
be additional factors that come into play in this discussion, but I'm intrigued by what will be presented in this 15-minute talk. You know, this third section, Stephen, really is linking the basic science back into the program, and this is a, a great set of speakers right there, and a discussion on what drives the disease, how is it emerging, and we'll learn on ideas on therapies and how we could exploit that as clinician scientists. The data Matthias Heikenwelder's lab's been producing is incredible. They published just this March in Nature on the depletion of NASH HCC of immune activated the CD8 cells or the, the cancer itself is enriched, but the CD8 cells are not are exhausted, not capable of, of launching that immune response that you'd like. And they actually show that the typical HCC drugs we use don't work as well in NASH HCC. And there you go, you have a you, you can't treat the cancer because it's cancer, you have to consider the underlying disease because NASH has such a specific phenotypic immune activation pattern and you've got to coin that drug you want to use to the patient. And I think this is where this great science really evolves the field. And the same is true for Bernd Schnabel and his talk on the microbiome. I think we'll learn more from, and he's been doing great stuff all these years. And the topic is actually phages, phage therapies here, and it'll just be very exciting. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next Wednesday, December 15th, with our last episode of the year in which we review the Splendor study on bariatric surgery and impact of related weight loss on the liver. If you want to join the live audience Monday, December 13th at 3.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, email surflive, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, surflive at surfingnash.com with request, we will send back a link to serve as your admission ticket, or simply look for our invitation post this coming Friday and respond to that. I hope you join us then. Till then, stay safe, see you on the podcast, and learn next week about our last two year-end episodes, which were a big hit last year, and we'll be again. Bye-bye now. 